Welcome to episode three of Critical Frontiers in Engineering Education, the podcast. I'm Dr. Natasha Watts, Associate Director of Engineering Online in the College of Engineering at Virginia Tech. This podcast is brought to you by Engineering Education, led by Dr. Jenny Case, and Engineering Online, led by Dr. Glenda Scales. Both are housed in the College of Engineering at Virginia Tech. Uh, the Critical Frontiers Research Group meets weekly during the academic year, and there we, I should say, are led by Dr. Jenny Case. And our goal is to sort of have critical conversations about research and the work that is happening in higher education and engineering education. If you've missed the previous two episodes, this group is comprised of a lot of students um, that are PhD students from a lot of continents um, in disciplines of both engineering education and higher education. So today's agenda, we're going to be going over Stephen Secules. I'm probably going to pronounce that wrong. So if you got comments on that, go ahead and let those fly. <laughs> um, we're going we're gonna to hear from him about a paper entitled Making the Familiar Strange, an Ethnographic Scholarship of Integrating Contextualizing Engineering Education Culture as Masculine and Competitive. That is a mouthful. And I'm going to let Ramon dive into who's sharing today's talk, um, a little bit more about um, Stephen's work. And I'm going to have him probably reframe that title because I just botched it to death. So Ramon, do you want to tell us a little bit about who we're going to hear from, who's sharing it, and uh, what's on the agenda today? Uh, yeah, thank you, Natasha. Um, as Natasha said, I'm Ramon. Um, and I will attempt to... Uh, do better with the title, but I'm not sure I'll do better with um, Stephen Sequel's title. So we're going to hear from um, Stephen Sequel's. Uh, and last week we read his paper um, on engineering cultures, um, and of course, particular to the US. Now, his paper is called Making the Familiar Strange, an Ethnographic Scholarship of Integra Integration, Connect Contextualizing Engineering Education culture as masculine and competitive. So I also struggled with it. Um, and chairing today's conversation is going to be Johnny Woods Jr. Um, Johnny Woods is a PhD student in the Department of Higher Education. And um, today he leads our conversation. All right. So thank you, Ramon. Um, so Johnny is a great chair. Um, Johnny's actually a higher ed PhD student. Um, and I think he does a great job of making sure everyone has a voice at the end of the conversation. Um, but could you tell us, Ramon, a little bit about some of the highlights of Stephen's work um, in this conversation? And I mean, for me, uh, I think I definitely learned a lot. This is an area that I am completely unfamiliar with um, and some vocabulary that I'm completely unfamiliar with. If you haven't listened to um, our previous two episodes with um, Trevelyan, James Trevelyan and uh, Dick Gunstone, uh, vocabulary comes up, I think in both of those in a sense, um, about understanding the vocabulary as far as uh, PhD work, research work, academic work. And so, I think um, to me that's come, becoming a thematic thing is thinking through the vocabulary, even in titles of research papers. But um, to give us a little rounded out uh, synopsis, Ramon, of what we're about to hear. Certainly. So Stephen's paper was published in this journal called Engineering Studies. And it's not exactly a journal for engineering education. In fact, it, it comes out mostly out of a tradition of science and technology studies. So there are, is more of like a historian, sociologist, anthropologist framing that this journal takes. So it, it, the language is 
um, sometimes by nature, um, difficult to understand, but also very, um, how can we say, um, abstract and almost even ethereal to some. So I totally get that. Um, and, and, and engineering education, as well as education in general, like we tend to not have that highfalutin language, right? Um, even though it does exist, there are those scholars out there. But the interesting thing is Stephen starts to outline a bit in his conversation how he developed the paper, the impetus of this paper, um, and really where it comes from. So backing up a bit. Stephen holds a Bachelor's of Arts in Engineering Science and a Bachelor of Engineering, um, as well as a Master of Science in uh, Architectural Sciences with an emphasis on acoustics. And he received a PhD in Curriculum and Instruction. Um, and so much uh, similar to, I guess, my trajectory, very engineering background and then going towards education and a PhD. Um, and because of his training and experience in engineering, it made it it made him in a way an insider into the engineering culture. So that's where his ethnographic work from his PhD dissertation comes from that eventually led to the writing of this paper. In addition to his educational experience, you know, he has five years working in industry um, as an acoustical engineer. Um, and, and that insider knowledge of being an engineer really helped, helps Stephen to interrogate things that are happening in the engineering classroom and the cultures that we see. I do want to note, you know, as we've mentioned before, our members, people who join the conversation do join from all over the world. And so I want to note that this research may seem very US centric at the surface level. Um, and I will say indeed, um, research on culture is necessarily local. Um, and, and what is true for engineering cultures in the U.S. may not necessarily be true for those around the world. However, I do want to point out that even within the U.S., engineering cultures differ, right? Um, last week, we heard from Trevelyan, who mentions that engineers aren't used to working with their hands. Well, that perspective or that knowledge of engineering to me was very distinct from my engineering training and my culture. And that might be the case here at um, on the eastern part of the United States, but in the western part, um, at least in my part of my neck of the woods, engineering did take on um, some hands-on aspects that may not have been seen. With that said, um, I do recognize that the form and flavor of engineering we have in the U.S. is largely imported from Europe, um, and and the same can be true about engineering cultures um, in other parts of the world as well. Um, anyway. I think that's really good, Ramon. Um, and so <clears throat> that kind of gives you, I, I think, a, a preview about about our conversation that you're going to hear. Um, if you have any questions, there is an email address linked at the bottom. Um, please just email those questions to us. Let us know about it. And so, Ramon, I hope you enjoy to the podcast today um ramon do you did i leave anything out before we kick off mm, not to my knowledge awesome so this is episode three and if you are joining us for the first time welcome we hope you stick around and if you are a returner thank you for coming back good afternoon everyone uh, first i think i will echo what jenny mentioned earlier we'd like to welcome dr secus uh 
I think I just like to lay uh, the foundations for our operations today. Uh, I will briefly introduce Dr. Sekis so you have a background of who he is. Uh, thereafter, uh, Dr. Sekis will uh, have the opportunity to share with us uh, his entire perspective of his paper, the philosophy uh, for the paper, and then uh, immediately he's done, we will move into just the conversation uh, with you. Uh, but as we go into the conversation, I'd like uh, for everyone who may have questions, just notify me in the chat. So, I mean, in terms for proper coordination, and then I'll be able to, over time, just input in the chat who goes after who. Uh, so, uh, Dr. Sekuts, uh, into his bio, is an assistant professor in the School of Universal Computing, Construction and Engineering Education, that's SOCID for short. And that's within the College of Engineering and Computing at Florida International University. He earned his PhD in curriculum and instruction at the University of Maryland. Uh, he has uh, five years experience in industry and then uh, spent a year each at University of Georgia and Purdue as visiting research faculty. And uh, his research focuses on critical whiteness, masculinity studies, equity, inclusion, and marginalization uh, among other things. <laughs> Currently, his ongoing projects relate to critical analysis of dominant cultures. Uh, and uh, he is uh, strongly uh, tied to the ASWE, which is the American Society for Engineering Education, and he is the founding chairman of the Commission of Equity, Culture, and Social Justice Education. On that note, I'd like to say welcome, Dr. Sekis, and the floor is yours. Thank you so much, Jenny and Johnny, for that uh, for those kind introductions. And this is a cool, very cool opportunity. Um, I agree. the The world feels smaller um, now uh, than than it did. So that that is one silver lining. I agree. Um, I appreciated your. Um, I got from Johnny uh, some of your um, your pre thoughts, pre questions, um, and I guess the one that like stands out for me now, in addition, just hearing all of your like kind of all around the world um, biographies, is I uh, fully agree. It is a very um, US-centric, Eurocentric um, kind of history um, that was presented. So I, I fully um, acknowledge, you know, we can't do everything in every paper, but I fully would be happy, like, you know, if, if you know, together or, you know, anybody else inspired to kind of like take it, take it on and kind of like, you know, critique the, the critique, you know, <laughs> like kind of in the, in the follow-up papers. I think that's really, really welcome and healthy. Um, I, I'll give some background into how the paper came to be and that'll help you kind of know where I'm, where, where the paper came from and kind of how it came to have that type of form. So the origin of the study was um, an ethnography um, that was pretty much my dissertation um, inside a, a a programming class for electrical engineers, um, really just kind of thinking about the what emergent culture I was seeing there and how it contributed to certain marginalization of, of certain groups and the and the patterns I kept seeing across semesters were really that um, that some student students I, me as a researcher I had a I had a pretty clear picture of like kind of what are people's prior experiences with programming? Like kind of what are their different skills? Who works faster? Who has a different style? Kind of, I could, I could see this all. They didn't have a very clear picture of 
that for themselves, you know, you kind of think like, ooh, I'm the only one in this class that doesn't understand these words. Uh, ooh, I'm, I'm, I must not be, you know, kind of in the right spot here because uh, this whole class is kind of leaving me behind or I just, I just don't know how to get to the labs on time. So it was kind of like looking for the patterns of like how this course culture kind of like very consistently was kind of telling some people that they were not cut out for engineering, not, not, you know, not in those words, no one sat them down and told, it wasn't, you know, uh, like an awful egregious experience, but it was kind of, that was the lesson that I noticed at least somebody was learning kind of in this class each semester. And I thought about how kind of unfortunate and, and yet commonplace that was. And I wanted to like really just think about kind of where that, where that came from um, inside the classroom and interactions and students own beliefs and, and thoughts, but as well, kind of, um, as well as in these like bigger cultural forces. And at the time, um, kind of, I was really looking kind of as an ethnographer might kind of like what's happening in this classroom. Let me write it down. I will talk to this student. I will talk to this professor. Let me map. This is kind of like my contained area. Um, an anthro professor that I had, like, you know, my, my methods professor happened to read a short version of this um, study and she pretty much challenged me that like, you make it sound like you're the first person to ever observe that men tend to dominate social settings and men like kind of like pursue competitions like lots of people have said this for at least 50 years like read some of the read some of these bigger books and she gave me a list of like 25 books <laughs> in my third or fourth year of, uh, of my program um, and so that's like in the dissertation um, this was really kind of like the ethnographic study was kind of like already fully formed and this was me providing my own backdrop to the ethnographic study like where did what it was very consistent in that class that a few more privileged more had more access to programming uh, kind of a dominant white men tended to like set the class culture all the time um, and kind of like marginalize other students in the class that was like really really consistent I wanted to kind of like think about that probably didn't spring fully formed just in this one classroom kind of like where where what are the deeper roots um, of those types of uh, relationships so um, so yeah I did like I did this like kind of deep reading historical dive kind of like you know in any anything that like kind of connected to those threads and sparked my um, interest um, kind of so that was what it was in my dissertation a kind of historical um, context chapter um, you know, kind of like after the fact of already having done these um, ethnographic observation um, chapter. Um, so my original conception uh, for this paper was, um, I thought that like, kind of having a better historical context would be really valuable to like, engineering instructors, um, like kind of like I heard in the study, I heard the way this engineering instructor thought about like, the two women in class and like how they just, you know, oh, it's, it's, too bad they like they kind of can't keep up um and i thought that some of these like broader historical contexts really helped to use kind of helped me anyway and i thought perhaps could help engineering professors see how deeply rooted um aspects of engineering or educational culture like how deeply rooted they were to recreating the same um kind of scenarios it wasn't about one woman emerging into the class and like being you know kind of like you know, oh, she couldn't keep up. It was more like, you know, for for centuries, this this discipline has been created around white men. Uh, it's been created like things like competition have been embedded inside it. So then, like that's the that's the norm that people are going to like be recreating in this class. That's all 
looks maybe not predestined, but looks a lot more likely once you look at this like long, like centuries backdrop, um, you know, and then, and then I think I thought for engineering professors, it could change the, change the story they told themselves and look more deeply at themselves, at their like course materials, kind of like, what are the pieces of this I could change um, as opposed to casting spotlight only on the couple of minoritized um, individuals. Um, so I, I wrote a version of that called, you know, in, into ASE Lee's uh, division, um, kind of like an easier bar to cross. <laughs> uh, just kind of like, here's some historical context I think is relevant to the diversity conversations we have. Then I kind of wanted to see the project through and kind of like, kind of see it, see it into a more kind of lasting. Um, so to me, engineering studies seemed like the right like I had had no historians on my um, dissertation committee. Um, so I kind of, that was kind of like the one, you know, like I was like, okay, the review process could help me, you know, kind of tie up loose ends, like in the way I discuss this history. Cause I know myself, I, it was more like I read 25 books from my anthro professor or, you know, skimmed the ones that weren't useful, but the, <laughs> but it was more like, an ad hoc, um, not not this kind of like I'm not a historian, so I kind of I kind of like wanted to like send it, you know, to the to the experts in the STS history, uh, kind of like um, to to that audience. Um, through the process of talking to engineering studies, it it was it was a really fascinating process. Like um, uh, essentially, I think they they kind of moved me away. The the piece about providing context to professors um, shifted more low, uh, I guess it makes sense their audience really knows a lot of, their audience is not engineering professors. Um, so kind of like they, and they already knew a lot of the information I was telling them. So kind of like, if the point of the paper was to provide historical context, then I wasn't doing a thorough enough a jo job. I wasn't making causal analysis. I like it kind of like, so their, their editor Cyrus Modius was super, we had a one-on-one. -on -one. I was just like, I don't, a lot of people were telling me a lot of little pieces of this seemed really, the reviews were like, this is important and valuable, but like not done the right way. I was like, I don't know, I don't know how to do this. So um, he's, he's the one who said like for this journal, um, like your ethnographic findings are like new, valuable, important. We like hearing about how the past connects to the present, but like you presenting the past as if it's like something that we like don't already know about, that's, that's the thing that's like, you know, riling, riling the already historians reading this. So that's, he suggest, had the brilliant idea of going from the past, the present to the like present, the, the present to the past to the present, uh, like which was kind of the structure I, I took for each of those themes, um, kind of like describe some phenomena I saw in the classroom, go to like some long historical narrative that I think provides backdrop to my own research, to others who are thinking about equity in classrooms, uh, and then kind of like come back and try to make a statement about like, what has that told us? What, what can we think about the engineering classroom? So um, all that to say, um, so it was a very long and circuitous journey, but it was, it was kind of fun. Um, and um, and I, I think like, you know, like since I was not a historian, I relied a lot on reading books by the STS scholars, the, the you know, sociologists of gender, um, these different types of communities. A lot of those voices are really Eurocentric. Uh, you know, they, they do like have their, there is their own academic bias inside a lot of those disciplines that I personally didn't really have the tools to counteract. So I, that's just one more, I, I think it's very, it's my attempt. It's a very like incomplete, 
um, attempt at some of this, but you can hear some of my motivations um, personally for the research community, for the um, kind of practice uh, community. Um, so I'll, I'll stop there. I really enjoyed um, your questions. So if I didn't, I'm sure I didn't answer all the questions. Um, if I didn't address your question, I'd love to have you just ask it again. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, I'd like to thank Dr. Sikis for that overview. And I think uh, it's now open. And let's see who's kicking us off. Um, can I chip in here? Yeah. Um, Stephen, I find it so interesting how you tell the backstory because the one question I really had for this was, and I hate this kind of question from engineering educators, but I'm going to ask it anyway, is, so what do you mean this is going to inform the way or challenge the way in which instructors mm -hmm. kind of address it? And I'm going, okay, but now you've left that hanging. Where does that go? Because I, I think it is a powerful claim to make, mm -hmm. but it, it, particularly in this language, in this kind of style of writing, it's very inaccessible to the average engineering educator. Yes. So how do you do, how do you actually sort of manage that translation? Yes. That was one, one sort of regret. I liked the engineering studies reviewers pushing me towards more precision and more sophistication. You know, there are whole arguments left out because they were too, you know, spurious for the historians. Uh, you know, like I appreciate that. Um, but it, the one, my one regret, you know, kind of looking back on it is kind of like, well, that this journal paper now is really not not the paper that I can hand to the average engineering professor and ask them, you know, so, I, so yeah, I've kind of like saved that project for another day, uh, I guess. And I am kind of like, maybe, maybe there needs to be a different collaborative, you know, effort to, if, if that, if that is the answer. Um, some current, like I, I continue to think about the kind of like how to shift engineering instructors thinking and like equity in engineering classrooms. So kind of at, in my current work, I think of this, this broader historical context as like, you know, a piece of a, of a tool belt or something like a, like a, a piece, a piece of a puzzle to unlocking, um, you know, some of that, uh, and maybe not, maybe not the only or, or necessary one, but, uh, but, but, but like kind of worth, worth a try um, for people who might be swayed by those like larger scale um, arguments. Um, yeah, I think, um, so I, I, I already alluded like what, what type of thing I do, I do think that um, um, engineering professors kind of, it's easy to think very um, instrumentalist, very, very, um, very, I identify the problem, I know how to fix the problem. The problem in this, in my class is like, oh, this person, this person, you know, like I'll just, I'll just keep talking about that course context because it, because it, you know, it's my, it's the one on my mind, but obviously this applies to lots of other contexts, but like I'm teaching an introduction to programming class and this one person's like just not able to keep up and they're just not able to do this. Um, that's my problem. Like, and the, and like, and I'm really worried about the two women in the class out of 30. Um, and like, you know, sure, one of them, one of them can do it, but the other one can't. Um, and like, that's, that's my problem. Kind of like, we're not noticing how, um, you know, like, um, the, your sense that other people are keeping up um, may be predicated on a bunch of kind of white men who maybe have programmed through their whole um, childhood or maybe have taken some of the students had taken a class at community college really could have passed out of this class kind of like there's a lot of other 
things happening that are helping create this um, this the impression of a problem where like just the you know couple of women in class um, aren't keeping up. But I think it's easy. I think um, engineering engineers are good at the identify the problem, and I don't know if that's good at identifying the problem if you can't like think complex roots of the problem. But they're good at like they're not afraid of tackling a problem, right? Like they're they're good at like that like that is the problem and I will break down that problem and I will like solve that problem. It's a very, it's a very like the same way you would tackle an engineering problem. And I think that that's my, that's my sense is like that, that the thing that this professor that I, you know, and others that I meet, you know, in, in practice and in life, um, the thing I think they're missing is not the will to change something or even like the, the, you know, like the, there could be other in other disciplines and other domains, there might be people who are like really stuck on tradition, really, really afraid to try something new. I don't think that's the problem with engineering professors. I don't, I just think that they lack, like having taken like you know, kind of no social science classes and no kind of like broader, you know, they, they haven't taken, like had the sort of same sort of framing that can really help you think about complex human issues that are happening. I, and I would argue like, tons of complex human issues are happening inside engineering classrooms. Um, and so just, I agree, it's a, it's a really, it's a really, um, really challenging translation problem. Um, because like my, my, my suggestion would be that like, all of that social science background, all of that training would really be what, what a professor might need to have just to, just to walk into the classroom. And that's not going to happen. So kind of like, what does it look like to help get there um i think is i think it's still really open for me but the but i the um yeah so kind of this is i agree i agree this isn't the really the the format that i would like um it to be if i was going to hand something to an engineering professor but this type of information assembling this type of information is kind of in the spirit of what what i think um you know and it was yeah it's just very funny like walking through the process with engineering studies because i had to this is why we had to have back and forth conversations with the editors. Like they're like, we know all this stuff. I'm like, yes, <laughs> engineering professors do not know all this stuff. And I don't think like, and I think this is the more appropriate journal to write this paper in. Then like it could maybe have gotten through reviews more easily in uh, like a, a different journal. Um, but like I want to write it here. But like anyway, it's just a very it's a very like kind of like expertise, domain, discipline, translation conundrum. Um, but anyway, I, I don't think I've, I don't think I've solved it, but, the, but I think it's, I think it's worthy of, of trying to, to work on. I really enjoyed the, this page 210 where you start, you sort of say taking this functional cultural historical approach um, suggests asking not what or who, but um, how do they function, how they enacted and how they interpreted. And I, I found that a really productive thinking space. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I, as I say, I think it would be useful to take that idea that this whole, the whole idea of this approach to any form of deficit problem mm -hmm. and do an engineering ed translation on it. Uh, Chris, could you clarify? Sure. Um, I just mean, uh, like if we are, I do think that the spirit of this being helpful for teaching faculty is definitely in the paper, even as it's transformed, it's definitely preserved. And I'm curious, like, do we, w uh, would you, would it just be like, 
hey, read this paper and tell me what you think, or let's reflect on it, or let's have a workshop about it, or I'm just curious, like, how, you know, how this fits into, like, even our interactions with teaching faculty. Mm -hmm. so. I mean, for sure, I, um, I subscribe to the thinking that, like, a little bit of knowledge in the wrong hands could be dangerous. I don't know how <laughs> it could be dangerous, but I, I don't, I don't, um, I don't know what the disclaimers, you know, would be because I haven't like really um, kind of brought it much as a tool. I am I am planning some more like more kind of very interactive um, ethnographic work with um, engineering instructors, either interview based or kind of more observation um, holistic based um, that I would plan to tr try start making the translated forms of this and then, you know, Kind of think about how they're taking it in, and um, and think about if that's if it's been productive, uh, and what what might need to um, change around it. Um, I mean, I I do think there's there's a catch twenty two with presenting critical arguments about um, whiteness and masculinity. Um, if you tell if you tell somebody uh, engineering was uh, kind of fundamentally organized around the interests of white men and was like excluding, you know. Is there a chance that somebody hears that and it's like, ah, <laughs> like I am, I am more confident that like engineering is is about like white men. I I don't need to like that. That is not problematic. I I don't need to. You know, I think I think um, I think there are, you know, always things fall differently on different on different ears. So I don't I don't know exactly um, what the what my disclaimers would be, but I think it's worth um, it's worth exploring. Um, what what this what this knowledge means to engineering professors? Ramon, could you please uh, restate your question for the benefit of uh, our audience for the podcast? We'd like you to please restate your question and clarify. Yeah. Certainly, yes. Uh, um, hi, I'm Ramon. As Jenny hey. said, I'm her student, um, and I was just curious to hear more about you know your work using critical whiteness. I think a lot of people, particularly um, when we look at race, uh, particularly for white people, they have a hard time recognizing that their racial construction is something that comes to bear and, and isn't really looked at or, or um, white as a race isn't considered as worthy of studying because it's part of the broader thing. So I'm curious where you're taking that. Yeah, um, yeah, this is probably, um... So the, the one thing I, I have heard and I, and I worry about in the like, you know, critical whiteness community, it has, been, um, it has been accused of a bunch of white people kind of navel gazing and lamenting about their own whiteness in a not very helpful way. Um, so I think that's like the one, like that's, that's my one thing that I, I don't even know whether to like really associate myself with, you know, with the community. Um, I, I think it's a strand, it's, it seems connected to my work. So I, I, I say so, um, but um, I guess for me, um, for me, the kind of practical aspect of it is I think as a um, white man myself, like the thing I, the, the kind, it feels a little bit just like, a, you know, the expression like, come get your people. Like, I just feel like I can see when I show up in a classroom, I, I have like general interests in promoting diversity, equity, inclusion, um, and helping kind of everybody, like having having people have more access to, to more productive 
inclusive learning. And when I show up, practically speaking, when I show up in an engineering classroom, um, the, the people who stand out as doing the most harm are usually white men. So like, it's kind of like, <laughs> and, and, to a, and to another extent, maybe it's all white people and to another extent, maybe it's all men, you know, like uh, kind of like these are, this is, it's too simple to say that all of engineering culture is dictated by a small cadre of like the, the, these, you know, kind of privileged white men, but like, but whiteness and masculinity, two things that I feel I have some, like some knowledge of and some like, can't like some responsibility around um, seem like the root of a whole lot of pain and, and problems um, in, in uh, engineering classes. I'm working up, I'm finalizing a paper um, with um, Joe Walter, Nikki Sahatska and, um, and James Huff out of my like one year postdoc with them um, on like white men, dominant culture and, um, and shame. Um, like producing experiences of shame. Um, it was a very, not an ethnic, not very ethnographic, very like kind of just talking to students in like in dominant uh, demographics and um, non-dominant uh, demographics about kind of different aspects of culture and kind of what, um, what expectations get produced and how they feel them and what, and root, uh, kind of roots of, of experiences of shame. Um, and like kind of everywhere I turn, like, I mean, it could be because these are my, my, you know, interests, maybe I bring that to these subjects, but it feels like everywhere I turn, I see more things to try to address <laughs> around whiteness and masculinity. Um, so that's my, I don't think of it as maybe the, you know, like, I guess that's my, my way of saying, like, I, I don't know that I'm in the critical whiteness community. I don't, I don't like read more extensively, you know, I, I, I know that I know the pieces that I think have um, have like contributed to this, but I, I don't, I mean, if, if, if it, if the shoe fits, you know, <laughs> then, then, then I would be um, comfortable being associated, but the, um, but more I feel in a critical, critical of kind of like dominant culture, critical of the things that are happening in um, engineering classrooms on a day-to-day -day basis, um, which then ties to, I think it, I think it's like the paper says, I think it's deeply tied to whiteness and masculinity. Um, but in a way that really, I, it is really, by the way, the paper also used to have a section on like just called whiteness. And I really, myself, really found it hard to like write, what do I write down here? <laughs> like if scholars haven't, if, if there aren't that many scholars that are like writing the critical whiteness pieces that I can read as a secondary source from the whole historical context. And if I myself am like, oftentimes I'm looking at a class that's maybe like, like the almost entirely white um, kind of, what, what do I say like about this? I, I, uh, anyway, I, the, the combination of, I, I kind of leveraged this masculinity studies and, and, um, and kind of coupled whiteness in there and just said that that was good enough for now. But I, I find it really, um, you know, really challenging to put your finger on and analyze and, um, and not slip into navel gazing and kind of like, um, uh, around, around just lamenting, lamenting whiteness and, and privilege, um, which is, yeah, I guess why I, continue back towards like a, as a practical matter, I would like to disrupt things that are harmful.
Um, and if they're associated with masculinity and whiteness, then I will say so. <laughs> like if, if it appears so in, in context, then we will talk about it, um, if, that's, if that's an answer. Thank you. Yeah. Seed? Uh, yeah. Hi, Stephen. I'm one of uh, Jenny's students. Um, yeah. And in, in your paper, you talked um, about competition. Um, yeah. And so uh, you spoke about how it creates like the social power in engineering. And you mentioned, um, you mentioned how sometimes we don't really consider a student's perspective to be as important if yeah. They, they fail to perform in the competition as such, um, which was, yeah, which I agree with. Um, and you also spoke about uh, how there's intentional competition and structural competition. Um, mm -hmm. So I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit more about how, how that's like undesirable for productivity and learning. Uh, yeah. Because before, I, before reading this paper, I'd, I never really thought too much about how competition is, is destructive. Yeah. So, yeah, if you could just touch yeah. up a little bit more about that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, also, as an aside, the engineering studies um, reviewers re suggested repeatedly to make the paper only about competition um, because that was the part they liked the best. That was new to them and that, uh, like all the other history stuff was was not. Um, but I, that part I really wanted, I really wanted to tie a norm, a taken for granted norm. I agree, Sid, like I, I don't, I, prior to trying to think about what's happening in this classroom, what's going wrong, why does it marginalize this student, like what, what is happening here? I, um, I don't know, I, I didn't really think much one way or the other um, about competitions. Um, but when I tried to put my, like, put my like, finger on what, what, was, what was making, like in maybe another context, why, why would it not have been like you could have been in kind of in any social setting, there could be a slowest person, you know, like I could be the slowest person in yoga class. You know, I could be the, I could be the, the person who picks out their groceries the slowest, you know, but like there are like contexts where that doesn't mean anything and doesn't matter. And we don't, we don't, we don't worry about it. You know, I think learning would be really healthy to be a context where that doesn't matter, you know, like where finishing the assignment faster, um, you know, kind of, if everybody's starting from, especially in this programming class, people were starting from the wildest, you know, different starting points. So like the student who's getting an introduction to programming, like I genuinely have no idea what, you know, there were students who like did not know what the word programming meant, did not understand, um, kind of like very, in a very healthy spot to being introduced to programming. Um, if they're being reflected that like they have a, a, a deep innate, deficit to them on day one because like, oh, look, look at all these other people. Like that's, that's a problem. Like, so, um, so I kind of naming competition, naming meritocracy, naming like kind of like performing for each other, performing ability for each other um, or for the instructor or, or for ourselves or, or whatever. Um, naming those um, was like just about trying to trying to undo this thing that I think is really, really, really ordinary. Like most, a lot of academic settings where I, I am, um, I see the same types of kind of performances happening, um, kind of like somebody asking a question that you think um, really didn't necessarily need to be asked, but is kind of like a demonstration of your, you know, 
use of the vocabulary, a, a demonstration of like how much, you know, you know, relative to other people. Happens all the time in PhD classes, I'm sure you know. Uh, <laughs> um, but like, but there's also, there's also, you know, I mentioned the yoga class because like, I, I think that's a space where technically learning something. I'm really bad at yoga. Um, but like when I go to yoga, I don't, it's not being the worst one in the room is really not, it's really irrelevant, you know, like, uh, like, you know, the, the instructor builds that in the whole time. We're like, now, if you're, if this is not in your practice today, you know, like just, just, you know, lie flat on the floor and like think happy thoughts. Like it's it, like, they're always adapting. I also think, um, you know, kind of like in the paper, in the other paper, the one that, that preceded this, I, I named, um, like, you might think it's really ordinary for the purpose of a class like programming to reveal who can program and who can't program. But like, let me change the, let me change the subject matter to writing. Say you're in an intro writing class at whatever age, say it's in kindergarten, <laughs> say it's in first year, I don't care, say it's, it's writing and it's an intro writing class and, you, and out of the end of the semester consistently, someone comes away and is like, I just can't write. I just, I just like, I'm just, like not a writer. We would say that's a, it might happen, but it's a damaging writing class. And we would all agree <laughs> like that's, that's because we think of writing as like, you know, more, everyone can do it. It's a fundamental skill. We should all, we should all, any good writing class should be watching people grow in their writing, not, you know, separating out the two. But I think in engineering um, subjects, we think of them as subjects that are sometimes about revealing who can and who can't. Um, so if that's, um, I mean, I do think, like like said you like you brought up like there are many different things that competition means uh, so that's so I don't not I'm not necessarily just railing against like design competitions at the end of the semester you know like that's not that's not like my one my one I hate this I must I must like take those down um, I just think it's like more engineering I, I think it per, to me conjecture uh, but I think it relates to our the discipline of engineering, um, the product orientation, the like, the meaning of like, of kind of like competing as engineers, like that has some other, you know, kind of meaning to it that we that we think we can bring into classroom settings, and um, and we think that it's disciplinarily authentic to have a competition. And I just want to like, you know, maybe that still has some truth. You know, I don't, I don't, I can't, I can't say for sure, but I would also like to challenge that if we do bring certain types of competition in either culturally or structurally, like you said, like uh, there could be, I could declare today as a competition uh, and you all must compete with each other. Or I could, it could just be that turning in your midterm exams, like starts to be a little bit of a performance, like it starts to be a little competitive, like raising your hand and asking questions starts to be a little competitive just because of who's in the classroom and what they're how they're doing things and how they're interpreting things and, and kind of what meaning we're ascribing to these different actions. That was happening all, all across this class. Um, but I guess I just want to challenge that like um, that like maybe it has some disciplinarily authentic, uh, I, I think I wrote that in this paper, like um, potentially even if engineering is a competitive field, that does not mean that we have to instruct via competition. Like we should, we should really second guess that <laughs> because in other, in other educational anthropology about competition, generally speaking, people have found that it is, can be harmful. Like if you are competing, uh, you are, can be more likely to take ethical shortcuts. You can be more likely to kind of like be so focused on your product that you can't 
um, kind of make deeper connections, kind of have more creativity. It can, um, it can do certain things well. Um, I think like, I think there's something true that if you're like heavily incentivized, um, that you can perform really simple tasks even faster. Um, like if, if you're, if you're like, so if, if it was like about tying shoes and it was competitive shoe tying, then you, you'd probably do that even better. But for higher level tasks where we like have to think deeply, what am I understanding? Like, you know, think outside the box, be, be creative. Like um, generally kind of like having the peace of mind that you're doing okay <laughs> and you're able to explore these things. Like I think generally those have been proven to be better. Not having the kind of the, the weight of, I'm about to, I'm about to embarrass myself. I'm about to like lose the I'm about to be the slowest in class. Like, like does the slowest in class like need to really be a salient part of, of a class. Um, and I'm not necessarily suggesting that I alone will, will change that, but I would like, I, I think um, more people in engineering like questioning that would, would be uh, productive. Like kind of like what, what are the right norms? What are the right mindsets? What are the right structures um, for education of engineers? It's at, at the intersection of these two things. So what, what should it really look like? Stephen, this is the most, incredibly rich discussion and and i want to be with the reviewers to tell you to write that paper on competition because uh -huh. i think actually as you're you're really unpacking this so helpfully also just you know on that thing about the i i'm actually really serious i do think you you're providing an incredible elaboration and another i also appreciate you telling us about the process of writing and of writing secondary work because mm -hmm. that's what we do quite a lot in engineering education because we draw on yeah. philosophy history and so on and then we produce the synthesis and i think and i really appreciated hearing your backstory of the interaction with the reviewers i mean all of that stuff is just not visible to people yeah. often so i mean to share that with phd students also is really amazing and you know i after I confess a gap that I hadn't read your 2018 JE paper mm -hmm. and I've gone to read that after reading this one mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and now the whole makes a lot more sense for me and I can see the the tensions you had in putting this paper together so yeah, yeah. I do want to say I mean I think that JE paper and I, I'll try and explain why I haven't read it I've been to, um yeah, I'll just say it's a 2018 paper because I've been amazed to come to that. I think my go-to paper on that topic always was Kittleson and Sutherland uh -huh. about what happens in classrooms and how people get excluded. And I do think that's the heart of your argument of mm -hmm. the conditions for learning. Yes. If you feel shame, that's like rule one, you can't learn. Right. If something makes you feel shamed or humiliated. Right. And I, and I think you've really been getting to that in this comment. So I suppose what I want to, and I don't want to take Chris's question away from him, but, you know, we've been yeah. grappling. We were with James Trevelyan last week, and he was arguing that we so focus on individual achievement in the university right. compared to the need for collaboration in the workplace. So I do have a question. And the yeah. question is this. Given that it's important, we I think everyone in this room says, yes, students should have some authentic type um, collaborative experiences. Mm -hmm. But what your work shows and others is that the, you know, race and gender dynamics just become way more complicated when you put students in a group and say, okay, mm -hmm. off you go. Mm -hmm. And as you've also said, engineering academics are just 
often not very well skilled on how do you disrupt what's going on there? I mean, I've taken them, I'm doing it right now in the groups. I mean, disrupting the person who tends to take over, mm-hmm. noticing when someone's been excluded, but it's, it's very difficult to be yeah. a faculty who does that. So, I, I mean, I just, I guess I'm asking you, you know, do maybe we need a lot more work about managing, I mean, is this something we, we're going to have to massively skill up on? I just invite you to comment on there. So, so one, one ray of hope I had out of that, out of that classroom context, I, um, while it was in grad school, so like kind of while taking these observations, I was never totally sure when I was supposed to, you know, give my feedback to the professor. I did it in like small ways usually, but then like kind of after, you know, cause I'm still building up. I'm, I'm not quite sure what I, if I see what I'm seeing, I need like, I need a semester off just to analyze just so I can like make sure that linked up to that, linked up to that. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's how it all happened. Like, th- you know, this is the problem. <laughs> this, I'm naming this as the, you know, the little local root cause now. Um, so it was kind of like, in the moment, I wasn't necessarily, I was like, that seems problematic, that that seems bad. Um, but in the moment I, I was me- doing more of a, like kind of hands-off um, ethnography, you know, kind of, kind of thing. And, um, and then kind of, it was more once the kind of paper analysis was coming out, and I think the paper analysis at first like really shocked that professor. And I think it like we we were kind of not okay for a little bit <laughs> because because it had, I mean, I, I can understand feeling really taken aback. Like, you know, you've been sitting in my class, I've been giving you all of the access, all of the like all of the like resources, everything. And now like you're naming, I'm like, I'm not only naming you, there's a ton of stuff you the students are doing together, but like, but yes, I think like the it took it took him a bath. Um, but after, after kind of we got past uh, kind of that repaired some of that relationship, um, I think he really, he really was, you know, very well-intentioned, took, in, took to heart um, like that, that there was a problem here that he was, you know, kind of, the, that he had control of, over certain parts of this classroom. So the, the smart aleck questions, I, I just really reflected back to him that it seemed to be a problem. Every student could name it. Every, the students who could name it, who were at the upper end of the, of the um, echelon could, could name that phenomenon. The students at the lower end could definitely name who was, who was do, asking questions and why. Um, and kind of like, I was like, that, that's just a thing. It's, it hasn't helped anyone. It, it's just taking up class time. It's just making more basic questions less likely to be asked. It's like, I can name that as like one practical thing. Like that, if that was gone, <laughs> things would be better. Um, the other stuff may be more complicated, but so he, he um, I didn't have an answer for him, but he, um, he invented his own, like, he called it a, like, he named it in class, a three strikes rule. Um, this might not be in that paper, by the way, because it, you know, kind of like might, might have come out later, but he named a three, a three strikes rule, like, so that he could kind of make a joke out of, okay, you're asking, it, it was every semester. It wasn't like there was like one you know, smart aleck in the class. Like there were, for some reason, we were always ending up with students asking those types of questions. And he said, okay, like you get, you get like one, you get two questions like that, like for the semester. And after that, like every time you ask that question, I'm just gonna tell you, cool question, appreciate your curiosity. That would be better for office hours. So reversing the norm of like, usually before everybody else is so terrified to ask a, a, like a basic question because like, look at what's happening in class, that they're the ones going to office hours. And as much as that pro- still provides help to them, they essentially felt like they were getting special ed 
like uh, they, 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 they were so remedial for this class, like that they, they had to have one-on-one -on -one tutoring the, with the professor, which he did not kind of notice that that was the message coming across, but, but like then once reflected back at him, but like, oh yeah, in spite of you spending hours in office hours with this one student, she really came away being like, I can't do programming, I should probably not be an engineer. So, um, so that's my one, I do think like, I do think like it, it might be easier like than we, than we think, like, like just like, like reflecting some of the knowledge and some of the problems back in, in a way that like is digestible, um, like may, may kind of result in like cool local solutions that we wouldn't have thought like we, we, we may not be able to make one policy document that like solves it for every, every classroom, but that's my little experience with, with trying to give um, feedback and it, it seemed to have, have worked out um, to have helped. The, the other thing I did, because I was, the TAs were the ones working on the classroom norms, the, I mean the lab class, um, the pairing, um, so we were iteratively, every semester we kind of gave some feedback about the TAs, so first semester I was ever in there, it was only individual labs, um, and the like hierarchies of who was finishing lab and who was getting what help and you know they were just so extreme like people were like not not finishing at all um so we we did paired programming like which was you know kind of like a best practice of like of like these active learning lab classes like we first we just let it be what it was then we suggest then we like made a little tweak then we realized that the little tweak of the paired programming really brought up their own its own problems because the like now now the a novice programmer, the only real options are you get paired with an expert programmer who is likely to take over the whole activity and uh, and kind of teach you, but not in a way that like maybe really centers your learning, maybe just like, and then I would do this and then I would do this. And you know, if you're speaking only in shorthand and you're typing the whole time, you know, um, or you get paired with another novice programmer and maybe you have, you know, you can like, but maybe you're so overwhelmed by the, by the, like sheer now two expert programmers are you know are sitting next to you and you're two novice programmers and you're like like I'll never finish like you know like I had a quote like from a student like me and the you know this only other woman in my lab section got paired together today and we're gonna die like we're gonna die in lab like like if that's how you come in feeling like you say what are the right conditions for learning that can't be <laughs> that, that can't be the right conditions where to feel like you're going to die so neither one of them seem acceptable so one thing I in some other subsequent semesters, because I, I had a long-term GA ship researching this class, some other not not stuff that went into that paper, but I just, you know, I was still there and I wanted to try to help. So I I just I tried my own like little noticing which uh, students, usually white men, were kind of in getting into this dominant role. Um, I tried suggesting to them to just like, you know, think about if you already know how to do a thing and you have plenty of time to do it, you got three hours, you know that it's like only gonna take you one hour. Like, you know, if you're feeling, if you're feeling uh, like okay with the, with the lab today, try taking a back seat and see if you can like, if you can clarify what, what your strategies would be and like, you know, get somebody else to like think through. That teaching, that teaching is like the greatest, you know, you'll learn a lot by trying to clarify what your strategies are. And I, I wasn't able to do it with every single student because not every student um, kind of cared. But when I noticed, when I noticed a student um, who like was really like, 
I would reflect back just a little bit in an interview and like I would realize there was an opening, then I would just, you know, just, just subtly suggest it. And that did also, I did also see glimmers of hope there. And I could imagine formalizing that into a TA training strategy and kind of like keep progressing and progressing, um, you know, but it is very time intensive. So I say it's easier than we might think, but it might also be harder than we might think because like, you know, not, people don't have an ethnographer sitting on their, on their shoulders, like making these, making these tweaks all day. I think uh, Chris had an important question that I don't want to miss, but at the same no. time, Ala and Maya, I know in our last conversation, you have some strong inputs around uh, the yes. disciplinary culture in terms of uh, uh, dominance. So, all right, I think there was this piece about, I think it's going back to the conversation about uh, the disciplinary culture in terms of male dominance and uh, talking about practices, how, uh, and there was this claim about, I think, females probably with the perception of not wanting to get their hands dirty to do the dirty work. And that was a conversation that uh, was little, I think, uh, contested in our own argument and how that portray males are having that kind of uh, dominance uh, as one set of individuals who have that capacity to perform a specific role. I mean, I think as I laid that point also, I will also comment on my own background as somebody who's in higher education. I think I, I love the piece because it, I, I think engineering didn't evolve out of the blue sky. If you look at entire history of higher education in the US, mm -hmm. I can I think there's a connection about the culture that has developed within engineering education. So mm -hmm. I think, uh, so I, I think that was a point of conversation around women uh, being portrayed as not having the ability to do their work. Right. Uh, but I think as I close there, I would like to come to the point upon, I mean, as much as we've evolved, we've seen a lot of interaction nowadays. We've seen more involvement of females and other group of people represented. But I think these things are still persistent today within this society. And we've seen a lot of programs have come up in terms of finding a way to make a more broader, to increase participation, to broaden the participation. So, okay. Um, yeah, I, I will just additionally say, um, you know, like the point, I, the points about like how, like these kind of the theories of cultural reproduction, the demographic associations with, uh, you know, certain, you know, societal expectations around what type of work, um, like, um, yeah, as I, as I put them in the paper, like you have to kind of like, Hope, hope that people are reading with a spirit like this was particularly true in early 20th century when people are first inventing engineering. I am not saying like, I have nieces, they get extremely dirty nowadays. Like, you know, I kind of like I we do still have some of that that meaning associated with gender. But like I like the kind of certainly certainly a lot of these things have have kind of progressed and moved on. But we can kind of like thinking about those more extreme points, like kind of like how how extreme that cultural reproduction was at the time, like how, how, like what counted, what was engineering? We, we like explicitly made it a thing that only male, white male engineers were ever allowed to do, like kind of like back in the, you know, when it was first invented. Um, so just thinking about that route and then how we've kind of like just ever so slightly been like messing with that, but like, we're just probably not done. <laughs> Is, is like the, is I guess my, my like I wanna like kind of like seed that backdrop and then like, you know, realize that like most all of the things that were being formulated back in that early 20th century, like or 19th century 
like, you know, these professional societies, these like, you know, like longstanding journals, traditions, like those things really, they still carry, like they still carry forward. Like we do have brand new things being invented. Nobody knew what a computer was at the time. And, you know, like back in that origin and, you know, people didn't know what biomedical engineering was, but like we still are, have a lot of traditional conceptions um, of what, of what engineering is and, and what engineering work is and what should count um, that we carry forward. Um, just to, just to uh, like not unrelated thought, but just, I also super think that like a lot of the culture of performance and, uh, and meritocracy is like very American, very, very uh, United States. Uh, I've lived in um, some, I lived, I lived in England uh, for a bit during my um, engineering career. And um, kind of, I, I think, um, that's why I would love like other international critiques of the, of the critique. Cause the, um, cause the, uh, like the idea of, of competition as an innate good and like, uh, kind of like, you know, putting like being like, just, just going for it and the kind of like your like individualism and putting yourself first and not like, kind of like you know, it being a surprise to ask an 18 year old to think about their, like what their partner is getting out of. (laughs) I don't know how this would look in a different country, but I just, I just find it still sort of surprising that we have like, you know, we produce a bunch of like young men who just, it would like, it's just genuinely shocking to them to, to think through some of the consequences of, of their um, actions and that like just, just blaring ahead um, and like kind of taking what's possible for them um, is maybe not always the best or only thing to be doing. Um, so yeah, I just, the, when writing, there's always like a million more threads like that I, that I can't like, you know, as fully develop. Um, but, but yeah, I think, I think, yeah. I think those are still really fascinating um, to keep exploring. Well, I like to respect time. Uh, uh, we are at our closing moment. So I would just like to thank uh, Dr. Sikis for giving us this time, the opportunity to share with us your piece. Uh, uh, we enjoy you being with us and uh, it's really a pleasure uh, having this interaction. All right, that concludes our podcast for today, and I hope you enjoyed. Big shout out to Dr. Jenny Case for getting our speaker on board, for organizing and leading the Critical Frontiers in Engineering Education Group. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, please email us at vteo at vt.edu. Again, that's vteo at vt.edu. Thanks. We look forward to seeing you again next time.